I say vote yes, vote yes, vote for independence. Open up a window. Here's your host, Alex Garrett. Well, one thing on Alex Garrett podcasting that I really believe, the fact that independents, yes, not Democrats, not Republicans, but independents are literally left out in the cold uh, when it matters most. And when does it matter most? Primary season. How many uh, elections have you been an independent? Have you been so frustrated that you couldn't go to the polls to vote in a primary because you're just not good enough or you're not uh, worthy enough because you don't align with a party. Well, there are, are millions that don't want to align with a party. And then even more so, 30 million, in fact, were left out in the cold in 2020 primaries uh, because they were independent. And I've got the senior VP of openprimaries.org, Jeremy Gruber, with me right now. Openprimaries.org is a very bipartisan organization, is it not, Jeremy? Let's start there. Yeah, we're a nonpartisan national organization and uh, focused on voter rights and voter empowerment. Um, and we work to ensure that all voters, independents, Republicans, and Democrats, have full choice and full equality in all taxpayer-funded elections. And how do you do that? I know you do panels and whatnot, but what is the foundation for open primaries? How do you guys operate? Well, we're, we're a national organization, um, and we work at uh, the state and local level uh, with activists all around the country who want to ensure that every voter has equal footing in our elections. Uh, so we work with activists in dozens of states around the country who are working to empower voters um, through public education, through debate and through campaigns to enact open primaries and to protect open primaries from being closed in states where there are efforts to do so. Okay, so what states are allowing it right now? Where are we at? Sure, so it's a, it's a pretty complex web. Uh, there are 35 states with some form of open primary. Um, and uh, those may not be open uh, all across every election in those states, um, but in, in some way or another, there is an open primary operating in 35 out of our 50 states. Some of those are partisan open primaries where uh, you have a Republican primary and a Democratic primary and independents can pick a ballot. Some are states primarily in the south with nonpartisan voter registration where you have a republican and a democratic primary but everybody gets to choose which primary uh, to vote in because the state does not register you with a party they simply register you as a voter and then there are a handful of states um and we're certainly focused on pushing for nonpartisan open primaries california Washington, Nebraska, and most recently Alaska have adopted forms of nonpartisan open primaries where there is no longer a Republican or a Democratic primary, but there is simply a single public primary where all the candidates are on the ballot, all the voters get to participate, 
and the top vote getters, depending upon the particular state, uh, move on to the general election. And, and the parties are no longer gatekeepers of who, of who gets to participate and who doesn't. And that would basically say uh, whoever got the highest vote for the Republican in the open primary would be the Republican candidate and Democrat would be on the Democrat ticket, basically, or for the general? In a, a nonpartisan open primary, because there is no longer a party primary, it is simply the top vote getters that move on. So that is most often going to be a Republican and a Democrat, but that could very well be two Democrats or two Republicans or a Republican and a Libertarian or a Democrat and a Green. It really depends on um, the makeup of the district. If you have a district, for example, that is 90% Republican in registration. Uh, the idea of moving along a Democrat and a Republican to the general election is, is sort of a, uh, an absurdity. There, everybody knows who's going to win the general election, whoever wins the Republican primary in a district with that high Republican voter registration, similarly on the Democratic side. So what nonpartisan primaries will do, will they'll move forward to the general election the top vote getters, regardless of party. And as a result, they will dramatically increase the competitiveness of the general election. I think most people don't appreciate that across the country, 85% of our general election races are uncompetitive at the state level. So when you are going to vote in, a, in the general election, in only a handful of, of races will you actually see a real competition between candidates. Most often, far off, more often, you will see whoever wins the, the primary for the dominant party in that district is a shoo-in for the general election. Um, in fact, so much so, and in 40%, think about this, 40% of general election races see candidates running unopposed, meaning that you as a voter, when you go to vote in the general election, there'll only be one person on the ballot. Oh, I know, it's uh, frustrating for the state assembly. Elections that matter. In New York, the state assembly has very much so, and state senate unopposed races, and it drives me nuts. And that's also because there's less enthusiasm to get into politics maybe now than before. Would you agree? I think that's part of it, um, but I also think that let's. New York is a great example. Um, let's talk. Let's talk about New York City, for example. New York City has a five to one Democrat voter registration. So, if you're not a Democrat, or even if you are, wh what is the the motive for wanting to participate in the general election? The real election is the primary. If you're a Democrat, you've already participated in the primary and your candidate is on the general election ballot. If you're a Republican or an independent, of which there's over a, a million independents registered in New York City and about a half a million Republicans, um, your, your vote in the general election literally doesn't matter because right. the Democrat is going to win and the Democrat is chosen in the primary. Um, so I think it's really less about enthusiasm. I, I quite frankly think people are more interested and 
connected to politics in this country than they've ever been. But they find themselves in a system that does not set them up to be equal with their fellow voters, but privileges party membership over anything else. And in a district of which one party is dominant over another, which is most districts nowadays, it is that party's voters that really rule and everyone else is along for the ride. Jeremy, does open primaries combat the quote unquote war chest of these big sort of establishment and, and well-funded campaigns? I mean, does the open primary sort of cut into that at all or not really? Well, we don't work, the open primaries issue isn't let's say a, a campaign finance issue. We don't work on, on campaign finance. Um, and there are plenty of, of organizations and individuals that work on that. It's a very important issue. Um, but I think uh, it's certainly true that if you want to ensure that candidates are accountable to all the people, which is really the goal of, of the campaign finance movement and not accountable to a handful of wealthy donors, um, then you want a system that is more open and more equal. A more open system and a more equal system means that it's harder for money to be used to privilege one candidate over another. The smaller the, the, the base of voters for uh, a particular candidate to ensure victory, the easier it is for money to distort the outcome. So you know, in a close primary where you are only accountable to a handful of the most partisan voters, it's much easier for money to play a role because it can come in and, and at an at a easier and cheaper level distort the playing field. In an open system where you're accountable to every voter in your, in your district, it's much more difficult and more expensive for, for money to play a role in determining the electors. So again, we're, this is not a campaign finance issue, but these issues are all connected. The more open a system, the more voters who can participate and are on equal footing, the harder it is for a handful of wealthy donors to distort the outcome. Uh, Jeremy, let, let's talk about ranked choice voting because I feel like, is that a form of open primary that we've seen in open voting here in New York this year? Uh, it isn't, but they, again, these things are connected. So an open primary at its core is about who can participate in the primary election. Ranked choice voting, whether it's used in the primary or in the general election, in New York City, it's only used in the Democratic primary, is about how people vote, not who can vote. Open primaries is about who can vote. Ranked choice voting is about how they can vote. Now, both include elements of equality, accountability, more choice, um, but but they are distinct and complementary, which is why, for example, in Alaska, they just passed a nonpartisan open primary with ranked choice voting so that everybody gets to participate in the primary. And then they have maximal choice in the general election using ranked choice voting to choose who the winner is. 
Um, but they are distinct. They are distinct election changes. So obviously, what you're saying is, ranked choice voting. Uh, well, maybe you're not saying this, but could ranked choice voting lead to some sort of open primary? Could they say, well, let's adopt this and make it more general, or is it too much of a machine in New York City to ever have open primaries? Well, I think one of the limitations of ranked choice voting in New York City is that it was adopted in a closed system. 90% of cities in the country have nonpartisan open primaries. 90% of cities. New York City, Philadelphia, Baltimore, a handful of primarily East Coast cities have closed primaries so that only members of the party can participate. So ranked choice voting, when adopted in New York City, um, it was not adopted in the general election, it was adopted in the Democratic primary. So only Democrats who vote in the primary have the ability to use ranked choice voting. Republicans and independents in New York City have never used ranked choice voting. And by the way, our taxpayer dollars go into that. So maybe they gotta fix that up for equality for voting. Hey, you know- Well, that, that's, that's one of the primary issues here is that primary elections are public elections. They are taxpayer funded. We all pay for them. They're held in public buildings, on public machines. They're run by the Secretary of State with publicly funded poll workers. The entire enterprise of primary elections in this country are public. However, we allow private political parties in many states to determine who can and can't participate. And that is the fundamental conflict in our primaries right now is this, this false debate between those who say um, these are private party elections and those who say we need more open elections. Those are not conflicting proposals. They, in public election, you can have a private party election if you wanna pay for it, but the parties don't wanna pay for private party elections. They want the public to pay for them and still get to choose who can and can't participate. And that's a fundamental contradiction in that argument. So Jeremy, is this, see to me, when we say voters are not allowed in any kind, I don't care if it's independent, Republican, Democrat, when you say any voter in America is not allowed in because of the way the system is, it's not the people's election then, is it? I, I mean, I know the general is, but at the end of the day, the primary sets everything up. So is it the people's election or is it not at the end of the day? Well, it depends on the state because again, we have a real patchwork of laws in the country. Election laws are set at the state level, but certainly it's the case that in those states with closed primaries or some form of closed primaries at certain levels, um, that primary elections have been privatized um, and the public is subsidizing private elections um, that do not allow significant amounts of voters to participate. Make no mistake, we, the, the political pundits like to talk about Republicans and Democrats as if the country is largely, for the most part, made up of Republicans and Democrats. And that might've been the case 40 years ago, but registered independent voters are now the largest or second largest group of voters in almost every state. Amazing. They continue to be the fastest growing group of voters as both major parties continue to contract. So 
while primary elections were certainly uh, a, an advantage over this proverbial smoke-filled back rooms that used to exist in the 19th century where party leaders picked candidates, they are no longer serving a public purpose when the electorate has changed this dramatically. So it's, it's a moment of, of, of needing to fundamentally rethink how we think about primary elections and how we ensure that democracy, equality, fairness, and accountability are present in these public elections. Uh, Jeremy, obviously January 6th just came and passed and there's a lot into this, but I wanna, I wanna say that a lot of the, was centering around voting rights. I mean, that was what Kamala Harris was talking about, but voting rights to me should include independence at this point. Do you think independence should be involved on a federal level or is this a state issue? I think there's no question that January 6th shed a very harsh light on how distortive primary elections can be. Make no mistake, when former President Trump took to the dais on January 6th, his threat to Republicans in Congress was you better vote against uh, sanctifying the electoral count or we are going to primary you. And the reason he was able to weaponize the idea of primarying is because in so many cases, our primary elections are uh, closed and it's only the most partisan voters who can participate. And so you have a lot of control to be able to make threats to candidates and legislators who might wanna vote independently saying, hey, if you don't go with the cause, we're gonna make sure that we get rid of you. And that's how primaries became so weaponized on January 6th. Um, so if we wanna ensure that our politicians are accountable to the people and not to the most partisan interests, then we have to move to a much more open system where everyone is treated equally. Otherwise, the weaponization of primaries is only going to continue and get worse. And which is why you're also seeing in a number of states around the country, the, uh, the movement to try to close the primaries and as part of the panoply of weapons to suppress the vote. See, see, Republicans understand that how important primaries are. And so unfortunately the Democrats are, are actually far behind them in understanding and appreciating how important the primaries have become as a result. It's the Republicans that are trying to close the primaries in states with open primaries because they wanna ensure much more control um, among their, uh, their party leaders. Okay, if, if, if someone, because in my mind, it sounds like, are you for federalization of elections or is this a totally different? Is that separate from open primary? Well, I mean, I, I think right now we're, we work in the open primaries. Uh, the organization works in the system we have now. Uh, so we're working to open primaries in all the states with closed primaries. Um, if, if elections were to become federal, we, will, we would work on them at that level. We have worked on legislation to open the primaries for members of Congress because 
uh, Congress can legislate, at least theoretically, open primaries for members of Congress. And there have been bills in the past to do so. There is not one currently. Um, but we don't work on the federalization of elections. But personally, do you think that would be dangerous for America if the federal government had a role in this? Is this still a state's election, um, you know, kind of system we should be in? I think that there is a lot of attempts to try to control election outcomes by both parties. And I would be very wary of changing the system if it was to advantage one party over another. And I quite frankly think the American people would lose trust in the system even more rapidly than they have the more they see electoral politics distorted for partisan advantage. So I, I don't have a position on, uh, on that specifically, but I, I, when, when one party is pushing a version of electoral politics over another, I do become concerned that partisan advantage is involved in the calculation and I think that undermines trust in the whole system. Jeremy, let's let, let me get back on track here for a minute. Um, independence. We, we saw in 2016 the movement toward independence after Bernie Sanders was pretty much screwed out of that, that election. I mean, that 2016 DNC primary was totally, it seems, rigged for Hillary. I mean, you might disagree, but that's what it seemed like. So did open primaries, or, or did you see a shift in independence right after the 2016 DNC primary. Did, did you notice a shift then in there? I think the, and it wasn't just um, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. Um, ironically, it was Trump's own children who were shut out of voting for Trump. Right. Because uh, in, the, in the Republican primary the same year, because they were actually registered Democrat, uh, shockingly, um, and weren't able to participate in a closed Republican primary to vote for their own father. Um, I don't think we saw a dramatic jump in, the, in independence only because independents were already dramatically growing before 2016. What 2016 did was shed light on an existing problem. And that is, is that there was uh, for a, a very competitive election in which independents wanted to participate and were shut out. There are so few competitive elections that oftentimes this issue of voter equality can get lost because there's a lot of apathy to participate in an election that is predetermined. But when an election does become competitive and when all voters have a real interest in the outcome, and a significant segment find themselves disenfranchised, it becomes a source of very public conflict. That's what happened with both Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump in the 2016 election, um, particularly in New York. Um, and we're seeing that more and more in states around the country because independents have only continued to grow as, re as a percentage of registered voters since then. Um, while, while party registered voters have continued to either be static or decreased depending on the state. Jeremy, I want to pick your brain because you also are a lawyer. You actually got your degree from St. John's 
University School of Law, if I read correctly. So um, let's say, let's talk about legal challenges. Obviously, from a legal perspective, you've probably been in that fight too, watching the legal, watching people sue to make sure primaries are open, right? How much, how, what's the lawsuit ratio, would you say, for all of this to make it happen? You know, one of the things um, that when I got involved in this issue a number of years ago that I, I noticed was that there has been an a over-focus on legislation and ballot campaigns to, for primary reform and almost no attention being paid to the courts. If you look at any movement for change in the history of this country, there have been really three weapons that have been used. The ballot initiative process, the courts, and legislation. Those are the three avenues for legal change in this country. Um, but the courts have been largely neglected in the movement for primary reform. And we're actually working to change that. Um, we're developing a litigation project right now. We're hoping to get into court uh, by the end of this year to start to challenge um, the, the notion that uh, independence can be discriminated against in so many states um, as a result of their registration status. Uh, and the very first way we're, we're planning on doing that actually is by looking right at the electoral code. Because if you were to read the electoral code of, of almost any state, what you'll find is how deeply partisanship has been ingrained in every facet of every state's electoral code. If you are a registered independent voter, you can't participate as a poll worker in a lot of states. You can't serve on an election board. You can't be a judge. You can't get automatically your vote at home ballot sent to you. Um, there are literally dozens of ways in almost every state that if you are a registered independent, you are discriminated against in the electoral code, which privileges Republican and Democratic party membership at the expense of everyone else. It's right there ingrained in the code of every state. The You're state codes are not- You wanna- yeah, Sorry, go ahead. You wanna change the electoral code is what you're telling me. We want to ensure that the electoral code of every state is written to advantage and create equality for every voter, not just partisan voters. We want to make sure that the electoral code is about fairness, equality, and democracy, and ensuring the proper administration of elections for all, not just for the partisan few. Right now, that's just simply not the case, and we're hoping to change that. Jeremy, I want to talk about sort of coverage for open primaries. I've seen Newsweek. I've seen The Hill. But I don't see, you know, like outlets like CNN or Fox News or any of these major outlets covering this issue. Why? Why do they not care about the fact that 30 million voters did not get to vote in the primary in 2020? What do they just want to stay in their own lane, so to speak? Or why aren't they talking about this? Well, I think you have seen a, a growth, a certain growth in uh, coverage of this issue, no question. But is it's still a secondary issue. Why? Because I think that much of the punditry in this country 
still sees everything between a Republican versus Democrat lens. They don't appreciate where the American people are. Quite frankly, I don't think they really think about where the American people are. They simply look at independent voters and say, well, they're gonna vote for Republicans or Democrats. I mean, those are the only choices on the ballot. So they don't think independents really matter because in the end, the candidates are Republican and Democrat. Your choices are Republican and Democrat. So the fact that there's been a growth of independent voters, they don't think that matters. They don't think that has meaning. I think it has a lot of meaning. I think the American people are saying we are tired of this duopoly. We're tired of the partisan lens. We want all voters to be treated equally. We want to vote for the best candidate, regardless of party. We're tired of being put in boxes. We're tired of the walls. We want the walls to come down and we want um, full choice in our elections. And we wanna stop um, with these false walls between voters that the parties have constructed. Um, that's where the American people are. And that's what's propelling this issue forward. I think the pundits and the parties are just quite frankly behind. Uh, I want to get your take on actually this past election. We saw a writing candidate in Buffalo become mayor. We saw a trucker probably, I don't know if it stood, but I know that he was basically voted to take out Steve Sweetie, the Senate president in New Jersey. I mean, there were some signs that, yes, the outside is starting to creep more in. And you could say Donald Trump was the first big sign, but it's it's interesting to see other signs also that the outsiders are starting to creep their way into politics. And, and we need more of that. Well, I think what you're seeing is that when voters are frustrated and when voters are angry and when the system doesn't provide an outlet for them to, to vote their conscience, then they're going to vote to be disrupted. And they're going to try to shake up the system with the hope that they'll get a different outcome. And quite frankly, that's on, that's on the parties for having set that up, um, for having set up a situation where people are so frustrated and angry that they'll vote for someone to break the system rather than someone to fix the system. Um, I think that the more we can open the system up, the more that we can give every voter a voice, the more that we can give every voter full choice, the more that we're gonna find voters want to vote for people who are gonna make their communities better, who are gonna make their country better, and who are going to work together to reach common ground. But when we have these false barriers um, and voters aren't able to participate in a healthy way, they're gonna to start to throw rocks and see if they can't make something new happen. And that's the, that's the disruption, that's the unhealthy disruption that we're seeing so much of right now. I mean, personally, I think 2016 was a needed disruption until, you know, things just went pretty south with him. But, you know, that was, that was a loud, loud message, I think, that they didn't want an establishment candidate to win that election in the general. Um, but in an open primary system where voters are counting, does that not open up the door for regular Americans to also become? Um, you know, they always say, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up, kid? Uh, president. Well, they might not get the money when they grow up to be president. So 
does an open system allow those dreams to happen for the next generation? 50% of young people are registered independent. 50%. There's no question that the younger generations of voters want a different type of politic and don't want to join the lockstep in with how the parties do things. Um, it's the, gonna be up to the parties to determine whether or not they're gonna listen to the American people or not. I don't think the American people are confused. Uh, I think they are saying loud and clear, we want a more accountable system. We want a more equal system. Um, and to the degree that the parties listen, the, the, the irony of course, is that the party that listens first and most fully is the party that's gonna actually be more successful. Um, so the parties are actually working, you know, against their own best interests by trying to keep independent voters in a box, by failing to build bridges, by saying, hey, if you want to participate, join our party or get lost. It's a very weak short-term strategy that is only hurting the parties and causing so many people to flee the parties. Um, the party that says, hey, I get you, I get what you're saying, and I wanna build bridges to you, and I wanna connect with you where you are. And I'm not gonna tell you what you have to think, and I'm not gonna tell you what you have to do in order to participate. I'm gonna build bridges to you from where you are. That's the party that's going to be most successful. And we're starting to see some of that. We're starting to see politicians from both parties build bridges with independent voters in their districts and be successful as a result of that. And more that we see that, I think the, the more pressure we're going to see on the parties to respond to that as well. And that, and that sets up basically a reason why you're here today, because Jeremy Gruber, uh, senior VP at uh, openprimaries.org, you've got a big guest this week on Wednesday, and I want people to know who it is, Andrew Yang, who fled the Democratic Party, is joining you you guys and tell us a little bit about this upcoming event. Yeah, so, so you know, Andrew Yang, former presidential candidate, former candidate for the mayor of New York City. Um, recently, uh, as folks probably know, left the Democratic Party, declared himself an independent and uh, launched the Forward Party, um, which is a work in progress and still developing its platform. But a key part of the Forward Party's platform is its support for open primaries and ranked choice voting. And Andrew Yang has been a, a staunch supporter of open primaries and ranked choice voting since he made that transition. He's been an outspoken advocate. We're excited to have him on our call on Wednesday to welcome him to the movement. He's an important new voice on this issue. We, we're, we're, we hope to talk to him about how he hopes to position himself and participate in the in this growing movement. Um, and we're looking to elevate his voice and support uh, his mission in any way we can. I think it's a, it's an important new uh, addition to the movement. And um, we're excited to see where Andrew Yang and the Forward Party go next in terms of their support for more open elections, more equal elections, and more fair elections. 
So this is going to be on uh, on this Wednesday uh, at 3 p.m. And basically what you're going to have to do is, I guess, do it. How, how can people register, first of all? You can go to our website at openprimary.org. Um, go to our virtual discussion series page. You can register for the call. Um, and uh, not only are we going to be interviewing Andrew Yang, but we are going to be uh, opening it up for audience questions. Um, so so uh, you'll be able to ask your questions of Andrew Yang and talk to him directly about election reform and the future of the forward party and how he sees his role in the movement growing uh, as a part of that new relationship. All right, one, and this is very exciting, by the way. I mean, I think Andrew is a very eccentric guy. He's an entrepreneur. He's someone that uh, seems to get the people. So I'm kind of interested to hear, I'm very excited to hear what he has to say this Wednesday. But one last to, to bookend all of this, uh, we talk about how this is a, a two-party system and how it feels like almost bullying into the Democrat or Republican Party, meaning we we won't let you vote in the primary unless you join our ranks. So to those who feel that pressure every year or every four years, but but uh, and they might want to relent and say, okay, I'll join the vote in this. What's your message to them if they feel like they're going to sort of, I don't know how to say it, but break? And, and join the party, what is your message to those that say, I don't know if I can be independent anymore? Look, I, I think it's a hard position to be. If you want to have, a, if you live in a closed primary state and you want to have a say in your elections, um, it's very hard not to be registered with one of the two major parties. Um, there are a lot of folks who see themselves as independents who are registered with one of the two major parties because they don't wanna be left out of electoral politics and, and their participation in our democracy. That's a hard position to be in because you have to know that if you register independent in a state that is closed, you are a second class citizen and you will be disenfranchised and you will be um, cast in a secondary role in many aspects of the election of your state's uh, Election, administration of your state's elections. Um, and I, but I would say that you're certainly not alone. Independents are growing. They're getting a, a bigger, bigger section of the electorate. They're now the largest group of voters in the country. So if you see yourself as an independent, you may be a second class citizen in, in your state if it's closed, but you are part of the majority. And it's a majority that's growing bigger, it's a movement that's growing bigger, more connected, you know, important new voices like Andrew Yang are joining. And this is an exciting time, I think, to be an independent voter um, because the movement is really accelerating and it's moving in our direction. So I would say if you, if you uh, wanna get involved, please come to openprimaries.org, contact us, get involved in the movement, get connected to what's going on in your state and, and, and help us open the elections in every state in the country. Well, I, I'm excited. That, that term open the election just sounds so freeing, does it not? I, I think it does anyway. Well, you'd think it, you'd think in a, in a democracy like ours, that would be automatic. It's not. The history of our country has always been fighting for more open elections. 
and that hit that that fight continues. Um, it's accelerating on the open primaries front, and you know I'm very optimistic uh, of where it's going. Well, the conversation doesn't end here. Uh, we will definitely pick this up in the near future. Maybe even a recap of the call next week if you'd like to come back and just let people know uh, and also where they can find it uh, after it's done. But let maybe do a call recap next week. I'd love to have that. Sure. Uh, this call, the the call with Andrew Yang will be recorded, and you know we can certainly share it with anybody who can't register and participate as it airs. All right. So we'll do that next week, and then we'll we'll just have an open dialogue because obviously that's what we need. I feel like. January 6th was sort of like this venting about last year, but now we've got to move forward. And I think the open primary system is a way forward and you guys are championing that uh, every day. Well, we're, we're fighting the fight. We're, we're excited to have as many people join us as possible. We need uh, all hands on deck at this moment. Um, and, uh, and we appreciate uh, conversation. Well, I appreciate having you on, Jeremy, and definitely going to have you back. I'm Alex Garrett, openprimaries.org. Check them out. Check out the call with Andrew Yang. And uh, we will be back with you very soon on Alex Garrett Podcast.